Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. The Square Ball Podcast. Hello, welcome to the show. It's brought to you in association with Levi Solicitors. They will offer you a 10% discount on your legal fees at levisolicitors.co.uk forward slash the square ball. There is a 15% discount on... The Phil Hay Show. No. Hey, no. 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 Will's, Will's Probate Conveyance. It's, yeah. it's on the Phil Hay Monday Club, our That's new the show. Oh, Monday Club. That's that you can find out, find in our feed. 15% discount on the big three, Michael. Will's Probate Conveyancing. For a limited time, details of how you get that discount over on that show. Today we talk money. Uh, Dan here with Michael and with Moscow as well. Because the Leeds United accounts are out, and while we don't need to pour over them forensically, might be good to have a little run through them and see where the club is at in relation to the Premier League, and to essentially bask in the idea that the Premier League is a madhouse. It's a financial madhouse, isn't it? How can you say that? Look how much money there is. £189 million, the most we've ever, ever turned over. So presumably, we're hugely profitable. (laughs) Well, football is not, is it? That's the thing. I mean, it's gone up by, what is that, £18 million since the, the previous um, previous accounts. So the fluctuations there being that we were back in stadiums, whereas the previous lot weren't. Matchday revenue has therefore gone up quite a lot. Merchandise has gone up a lot. League positioning, prize money has dropped, as has TV income, because we were worse. And that's kind of the headlines. Yeah, I mean, we should say these are the accounts for last season. So this... It cuts off before the Rafinha and Phillips sales. So yeah, it's... so the, the football financial calendar runs the 1st of July to the 30th of June. Yeah, so this is the season we were nearly relegated. Very different from this season. Yes, which <laughs> has been a, a huge success. And thankfully, with no wasted money this season either. Uh, so this doesn't include, as you were saying, Rafinha and Phillips. That should then fall into this year's accounts, which will be out next year at some point. But operating loss of £34 million, which is fairly standard, you'd say, for... Premier League club, um, the permitted losses over the course of three years, what is it, 103 million you're allowed. Um, so it's it's off the back of a good year prior to that. I think the three years, absolutely fine from an FFP point of view, profit and sustainability point of view, are we? Yeah, so we're fine to chuck a bit more money on the bonfire of <laughs> Premier League football in, in next year, which is oh, which is great news. I'll, I'll, truthfully, we kind of already have, I think, haven't we, with uh, looking at the money we've spent on Ruter and... McKenney and those those kind of commitments. So those are those are yet to show up on there. Less cash in the bank uh, than the previous time. But you're right though, Michael, like everything's become more expensive, hasn't it? Staff costs have gone up. 13 million quid increase there to take it over 121 plus. We've seen like, what leads tend to do, by the way, that's shown in the accounts is there's a huge bonus for staying up each year, isn't there? Like It's like 40 odd million quid, which obviously eats up a large chunk of the future 
TV money for the following season, but it does seem like a fairly sensible way to structure things that they don't overstretch themselves too much. And then if you stay up, then you get rewarded for it based on the future revenues of the Premier League. I was a bit surprised it was as high as 42 million, I have to say. I don't know if that is a staggered thing for if we finish eighth, there's 42 million distributed amongst the players. Whereas if we finish 17th, there's like 10 million distributed between them or something. He doesn't quite break it down, does it? In the He just refers to them as for survival there was there is this money due, so I guess it's at some at some level it will be it will be there. But forty two million is a hell of a lot to commit to just staying up. I don't know. Maybe that's the standard thing. There's a variety of things to look at in terms of like loans and shares and stuff. Like owners can put in money issued as shares, can't you? Like instead of putting it in as a loan, there's a bit of that six quid, uh, six million quid, seven million quid of external loans, some uh, some owner loans, some cash from related parties. Not huge sums of money in the grand scheme of things, but we do know that we can see that. The, the ownership between it has been putting in more money across across the course of the year. Yeah, there's various bits like shareholdings have changed during the time. So there'll be some of these payments might be to do with that and cash flow of buying a player, you stick some money in to pay for them if it's at a different time of the year from when your broadcast payments are due. So there's the lack of information in, in this. You do get the, um, unless you could actually pin somebody down and say, what did this money come in for and where did it go? It's always quite opaque, isn't it? Uh, overall, Kieran Maguire, who uh, does the price of football, suggests in summary that this is a solid enough set of accounts. Plenty of saleable inventories. Does that mean players we could flog? I think pretty much, yeah. <laughs> it's weird because you look at it and from the previous Premier League failure we've had, a loss of £35 million sounds catastrophic. And like there should be immediate panic about this because it's a fucking huge amount of money. It's more than it's more than our turnover was in the championship for the majority of the time, and that's just what we've lost this year. So it seems it seems absolutely horrible until you look at what everyone else is doing, and everyone seems just fine with it. Yeah, I mean, there's also because this is pre Rafinha and Phillips. If you know that you're selling, mm. you know, seventy eight million pound worth of footballer in a few weeks, then you don't necessarily worry about the thirty two million or £35 million hole in what you're doing in the 12 months up to that point. And it all wraps up in the end when you sell it. So it's kind of keeping it in a, a reasonable condition. And then when somebody comes along and says, I would like to buy this football club off you, you say, well, the football club costs this much. Also, there's £35 million quid owed to me. So if you settle that part of it as well, then that would be nice. Um, so it all kind of keeps manageable. I mean, Brighton are kind of the... Um, the other example is because they have hundreds of millions of pounds of debt to their owner. Well, it's um, half a billion, isn't it now? Yeah, Tony Bloom. It's called, but um, it is not a problem because he doesn't want it back, essentially. So it's just fine. Um, I think they pay him back sometimes. They, they described it when they had a good year the other year. They paid some of that debt back and they were describing it as like just goodwill. I like, thought it'd be nice for him to have some of that back because he's been great for us. So it, it's this kind of new school of benevolence and compared to I mean we were losing money in the championship this is why Andrea Radrizzani said he he, would, he had a five year limit on getting us promoted at which point if he couldn't do it by that time he'd give up and let somebody else do it because he would only lose money in the championship for so long and it's physically essentially because of the broadcasting income and the structure of the championship and the desperation of everybody to pay what's necessary to players to get promoted to the Premier League it's a next to impossible to make a profit without parachute payments in the in the championship. The advantage in the Premier League is that, you know, we have the 
operating loss of £34 million, but then you do look at the overall turnover, you're going to get £189 million yep. at the next, when the next money from TV, uh, central distribution, sponsorship, all that. When all that drops, fine. So you need to go pretty pretty hard to um, to do what Ridsdale did anymore. And even though Chelsea are giving it a very good go, but then there are those, there are more things in football now to kind of guard against it, like profit and sustainability. We mentioned there the the limits on how much you are able to lose over a certain amount of time mean that the football, the Premier League and the uh, authorities, UEFA for one, are paying more attention to how much you are losing. Whereas when Ridsdale was losing all that money, nobody around in the game was going like, Stop doing that. <laughs> Loads of people going. That's silly, Peter. Stop yeah. doing it. A few people saying didn't seem wise, um, and but it was mostly media people. But nobody actually within football was like, oh well, fine. We'll just we'll just buy Robbie Fowler for nothing. It's interesting isn't it, that he, um, the, the things that did for Ridsdale's leads, such as it was basically, to all intents and purposes, mortgaging future transfer values of players in order to buy them now. That you can still do that. You can leverage your. Uh, future TV income, but it's done centrally through the Premier League now. So what they do is you you borrow this money from a company, but then it's handed back to that company directly from the Premier League to the company. You don't get to touch it because they don't trust football clubs not to pay it. Yeah, it was a very different time with Ridsdale. I mean, it gets kind of forgotten, but um, nine we were 9% owned by Sky at that point, who had been prevented from buying more because it was ruled as... Um, it was 10% was the threshold yeah you weren't allowed to own more than 10% of more than one club so they bought up 9.9% in loads of different clubs yeah, didn't they? as well as being the uh, broadcaster of the Premier League so you were the, the overall Premier League broadcaster but then with 9% interest in a number of football clubs and they were, they were trying to buy scum outright at one point isn't, weren't they isn't that a cartel anyway well yeah it was all pretty mad um, at the first, and that's so that's at the end of the first 8-9 years of the Premier League and we are now another 20 years on and there are attempts to kind of impose some sort of common sense on the whole thing but it does still uh, result in just every football club losing more money than it makes in one of the most lucrative um, industries around imagine being given £189 million and and just not being able to keep any of it (laughs) it's the stupid arms race isn't it and it goes into the idea like that and I was chatting to a, a pal of mine about this that who in football, particularly at the top level, is actually genuinely happy at any given time? It's the like players. you could probably, you could, well, yeah, but you can count half a dozen clubs that are ever happy at any given time. And I say the players, that's a bit flippant actually, because the players actually bear the brunt of all the displeasure and abuse of um, of when they don't win. And the argument then is, well, but you you are earning me like uh, this week, Furpo and Sinistera have gone to watch some tennis. Haven't they straight after we lost to Crystal Palace? Was it Djokovic in Monaco? I think they were pictured at. And people are absolutely doing the not. How dare they? They should be triple uh, sessions. Yeah, all that kind of stuff. And it's kind of it just it's it makes the the scale of living that footballers now have. It makes no like it's probably it's easy to fly to Monaco and watch some tennis as it is to go down the road and have dinner. Like it's not really difficult. It just somebody will book your flight in your hotel, nice Airbnb, and you just go. You just got to get to the airport and come back. It's fine. It's totally easy, and it like financially, like they'll have another seventy-five grand next week trying to think of what to do with it. But the price of that is that they they are made the whipping boys for every kind of perceived fault that they 
commit on a football pitch and the financial aspect of that I think does weigh too much because they can't just make a, a sporting error every error they make becomes a question of accounting you know it's not Junior Furpo made a mistake that means he's quite bad at football it's Junior Furpo made a mistake that means he didn't earn the, what his paycheck showed this week and it's this financial kind of football manager side of things that I think just makes people even angrier we've somehow all bought into the idea that we have to be in charge of how much footballers are earning and whether they earn it or not whereas I'm just like I, I, as long as Junior Furpo does tackle somebody um, and stops a goal or the striker scores like how much they actually get paid is very much the problem of the people running the football clubs and if they are fucking it up well maybe a regulator will help stop or not no no it won't cultural it Maoism exactly mm. yeah I mean Angus Kinnear's probably enjoying it based on his salary yeah 568 but although I'm interested in that as well because it's he gets a fifth no he gets less than a fifth of what the Paul Barber gets at Brighton uh, Brighton's chief executive in the same period Paul Barber's pay increased by £800,000 to £2.9 million a year and Angus Maoist Collective Agriculturalism Kinnear earned £568,000 in the same era. So he was paid per annum less than Paul Barber's pay increase at Brighton. And on the one hand, you think, wow, well, how can a football chief exec be getting £3 million a year? That sounds completely crazy and out of control. But then you look at Brighton's performance, you think, well, maybe if we had a chief executive who was worth £2.9 million a year, we wouldn't be giving £25 million to Jean-Kevin Augustin um, and things would be going better at the club as a whole. So there's kind of like a how people are earning their money, I guess, is a different question to how much they're being paid. And I suppose to look at, I don't know why I'm defending Angus Kinnear's salary here, but to look at his the turnover of the club when he came in to the turnover of the club now, you could say, I have grown the business to this. I, I know we obviously know the truth of it is the majority of just has arrived in broadcast revenue by being promoted, which is... But that's the way that you increase is, your revenue. Which is largely Bielsa's yeah. doing, I would say. But you could you could look at things like the, the merchandise going up by 5 million quid, the com- other commercial stuff going up by 26% or whatever it was. Things like that. They are driven by people in the company and it's whether or not you can get someone... You could say, well, we could get someone who earns a fifth of what Kinnear does who would do the job as well or you could go the other way and say we'll get the Brighton guy and pay him nearly three million quid and he'll and he'll earn that money back for you there, are, di- there are different ways of looking at it I was going to say the, the Brighton wage I've just calculated it works out at 55 grand a week before tax he's getting a footballer salary I mean there's an argument to this it's, it's kind of good value because people you pay any sort of mediocre footballer 55 grand and there's there's very little guarantee of what they'll do because they get injured and Sad and homesick. <laughs> sad. And, but they do, they, there's lots of different factors. Not as there? sad as we are. <laughs> it is. I mean, it's one thing that was kind of Kinnear. Let's pick on him for a while. Put at risk with his his infamous. I, know, I, know, uh, I do know that he enjoys it every time we do his infamous program notes. Because one of the things he was saying, he was uh, rejecting the idea of increasing payments further down the leagues, and he was saying that if you give uh, chief executives in the championship more money, all they will do is blow that money on footballers like Pavel Chibitsky. And I remember thinking, why are we picking on Pavel Chibitsky? This is a bit fair. We could, we could have picked on John Kevin Augustine, couldn't we, instead? Yeah, exactly. So, And I think that's probably a very good illustration of why Angus isn't really the person who can be making that point, because 
there is no difference in the chief executive at Leeds United from the championship to the Premier League, which means that there is a difference in how they behave because it's the same person. So his argument is like, oh, if you give extra millions to a chief executive in the championship, they'll fritter it away. But if we keep those millions amongst ourselves in the Premier League, it will all be very sensibly spent. He's the same person. It's like you don't you don't lose your mind just because you're in the championship. It's like nothing should change about uh, the way you run the club from one division to another. It's completely, it's disrespectful to everybody in the championship, including himself, to say that they can't handle being given more money and find a way to spend it sensibly. So it just made no sense. We were a year out of the, maybe maybe 18 months out of the championship at that point, And he's attempting to draw up this ladder as there's some kind of like incredible difference between those. Whereas, you know, the one place ever we do talk about how Leeds has not progressed from the championship team. We've still got Luke Ayling, we've still got Liam Cooper, still, you know, why haven't we got better footballers? Well, we've still got also the same management team as we had in the championship. So if you look across the club, is there a problem in championship standards being set at the top of the club? Because that hasn't evolved in the way that it might. And the point about the Premier League being any more responsible as you say, it just doesn't stack up. Chelsea. There's just there's just more money there. So yeah. it, it's just so a, it's can, a bigger matter arms race. So it can go a bit yeah. further. But I was looking at this um, a website called Off the Pitch, which looks look more broadly at Premier League finances. And the stat they had was ninety three percent of income is spent on wages and amortization, yes. which is the writing off, essentially the writing off of a player's value across the length of their contract. Yeah. So if it? you're buying for twenty five million, five year contract, five million a yeah. year. That's why Chelsea have started giving people eight and ten year contracts, enormous yeah. contracts, so they can appear on paper to lose less money on it but so essentially money comes in and the clubs give it all to footballers instantly and the, the problem is, is that obviously the Premier League is an arms race in its own right but the 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 peril involved in dropping out of it as we know now like if if there wasn't such a huge disparity between the EFL and the the catastrophe that it's painted as relegation you'd think well okay if we go down we can come back up again but you know Burnley have made it look all right and we had a nice time last time we were in the championship, albeit very stressful, trying to get out of it. But if the jeopardy wasn't as great as it is, because that's an arms race in itself, isn't it, is the point I'm making, I guess. It's a secondary arms race because getting into the Premier League is so valuable, dropping out of it is so perilous, that, which is what drives the fear in the bottom half of the Premier League about dropping out of it. Yeah. But bridge that gap, and then it wouldn't be the absolute catastrophe that it is right now. And it's weird because the prize of getting to the Premier League isn't all it's cracked up to be. You, you watch a playoff final and the commentator will be saying, oh, it's this massive, it's the richest game in football, it's worth £150 million, it goes up every year, whatever it's worth. And then you get to the Premier League and you instantly spend all your money again. Yeah, and it's shit. Then, the, the value in the Premier League is in selling the club at that point. So yeah. the club is now worth, um, and that will be the difference at Leeds, is the difference with what the 49ers might be prepared to pay for it if we go back to the Championship and what they will pay for it as a Premier League club is, it's it's, it's a multiple of four, isn't it? They'll pay four mm. times as much, 400 million, instead of 100 million as it was. Basically, Radrick Sani records he, he paid 100 million to buy the club and buy the stadium and sort of put things right. And then um, he can sell it for four times that in the Premier League, roughly. Um, but he can't do that in the Championship. And that's why every club at the bottom half of the Premier League is going absolutely nuts, sacking managers and paying them off because, and just desperately. Rampant doing... short termism. Yep, yeah, rampant short termism because the, the gap and then. And then you have, and the reason Kinnear gets the attention he's, he's getting in this is that his argument in those program notes was against the idea of basically giving more money from the Premier League further down the divisions to 
narrow those gaps and make the drops from division to division so perilous and final for clubs is he is very much um, against that because he thinks that money will just be frittered away. So it remains relevant and is relevant in this particular set of accounts because his director's statement that he has signed off where they you have to in the accounts you say what the risks are facing the group uh, or the company or the club and the primary risk is as it always is is the divisional status of the club they always say that as if we go down or stay in the division or wherever they are is that will um there will be impacts on key revenue streams essentially we won't get the hundreds of millions of broadcasting money but then he's added this season that an additional risk has emerged in the form of the government white paper in response to the fan-led review into football, the paper recommends the appointment of an independent regulator. The precise powers of this body remain undefined, but are predicted to materially impact both the club's finances and elements of the way it currently operates. So Kinnear is basically is put into our accounts this season that we think, as a club, that a, a big risk to the business is Premier League football and football in general being regulated by the government to stop it from being just the shit show that we have been describing. He thinks that that won't work. He thinks it will make football worse and that it will put well-run clubs at risk. He's the the programme notes that he wrote all those, those months ago when this was being discussed, was he said, it's a private sector business and has flourished that way. And so uh, enforcing upon football a philosophy akin to a mass collective agriculturalism, blah, 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 blah. Greatest family in history, good reference, Angus. Uh, will not make the English game fairer. It will kill the competition, which is his very lifeblood. And he's I've, huge problems with all this. I just don't like it at all. <laughs> because his, his his argument is that we basically, if clubs go out of business, then it's their own fault and we shouldn't help them. But that's not true because the community assets, isn't it? And I Exactly. And he's it, completely I, looking at, the regulator is basically, the idea is to stop bad owners running clubs into the ground because then we lose the clubs. And the clubs are fans and history. Kinnear seems to think that sacrificing a football club for the behaviour of Ken Bates, for to choose a local example, is fine. You know, and he says in from those programme notes, Leeds United have no God-given right to be in the Premier League. Uh, the right of an emerging and innovative Forest Green Rovers to league football is no less than that of a historic Notts County. The regulation is not designed to protect historic Notts County against relegation or the impact of sporting sanctions or having a bad team and going down it's to protect them from having absolute idiot owners who steal all the money run the club horribly and end up with it just going out of business and that should not be seen that should not be the only opportunity that innovative and emerging forest green rovers have um, to get into football is historic clubs going bust we have promotion and relegation for all this so it can be decided on the football pitch this idea of some kind of like ultra Thatcherite the last club standing race to the death and we do not intervene and make sure that the people running the clubs are doing it well and in a way that is going to keep clubs that have been around for a long time around is just um, I do not agree with Angus Kinnear's views on that and I'm not particularly pleased to see it included in uh, the club's accounts of the risk when other clubs are seeing it they're framing it differently aren't they yes they're seeing it more we will will find ways to work with the with uh, the government on uh, regulation going forward because what's I mean what's the downside but I was going to say there's actually a real world example in the form of the Premier League and the strength of the Premier League has been put forward I can't remember when I saw this it might have been 
on telly perhaps, maybe Champions League coverage or something like that, somebody was saying that the strength of the Premier League is its relative egalitarianism towards the clubs that are in it, in the sense that broadcast revenues, rather than in the case of Spain, being divvied up, uh, you know, Real Madrid and Barcelona get all the money, it's in the Premier League divided up 20 ways. And all right, the ones at the top get a lot more than the ones at the bottom, but still it's divided in such a way that it, it really supports the ones at the bottom and, and that the problem comes with obviously the, the drop down to the, to the football league. But it's allowed the the strength of the Premier League for all its faults to be a bloody strong league, all 20 clubs in it. If you look at the, well, look at, well, look at the bottom of the table this season, for example, point being, it's made a very, very strong league. So why couldn't that be the case for the whole four divisions, the whole pyramid? And I think I, the person I most recently read talking about the strength that being the the strength of the Premier League is that the money is shared, if not equally, but there is at least some fairness there. So it doesn't all go to the top two in Spain with Victor Orta. Right. Did an interview in Spain saying exactly that. that it's like, there's like, why is the Premier League so strong? And those are the reasons um, he gave. And it's also, it was interesting because Gania was saying this at the time when Marcelo Bielsa was our manager and Bielsa, he had the solution to football. He said that what we need to do is everybody needs to agree to earn less and then we have to take less money from other people and we put more money into making more good footballers because the more good footballers there are, then uh, supply and demand means that transfer fees will go down and everything will be go will go better. And talking about you know how we need to football is so important for society that we need to find this solution. Meanwhile, Canis is going like if not county die, they die. So if he dies, of, he dies. It's an interesting um, position for him to be in with Bielsa on one side and Victor Orta on the other. And uh, I guess you know Bielsa isn't there anymore to offer his views on that. But I would much I much prefer the idea that you know everybody. If everybody could like take a step back and think, is it a good idea to keep shoveling 120% of income to footballers? And if and the government's attitude from the fan-led review is that you've had you've had things your own way for 30 years of the Premier League, and you can't you're not sorting it out. So we're going to have to. Yeah, that's that is the fan opinion, isn't it? That fu- fundamentally, in a very broad brush sense fans do not trust owners. No. They might come in and, and appease them in the short term and there are issues around, you know, the morality of having nation states and human rights records and all that. That is the difficulty with trying to legislate against against bad owners is because you say, well, look at Man City's owners, look at Newcastle's owners. As football club owners, they're great. They've put loads of money into the club, really developed the academy, they've put money into the local area. They've done all the stuff you would love an owner to do. But the reason they've done it and the money they've done it with is not good money. So do you allow that? And Well, they have allowed it. So it's very difficult to row back on that sort of stuff. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. 
Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. The interesting bit from our point of view, I suppose, is the American interest in buying football clubs because they clearly see a lot of untapped potential in, in Premier League football because it's such a because it's a massive global game and they think they can earn more money out of this at some point. And, well, the reason for that is because of the revenues that they get in like the NFL revenues are absolutely insane. But that's because it's a closed shop of, is it 32 franchises they've got? Ex- exactly. So they, if you're seeing that as a, as saying we should be earning more money out of this and we could earn more money out of this, I suspect they're eyeing structural changes at some point because you can't you can't allow yourself to just drop out of the Premier League. You can't allow yourself to drop out of the Champions League if you're relying on all that money every week. And Moscow's way and my preferred way of doing it would be to spread the money in the first place so there isn't a big drop at any point. But their way of doing it is to cut off that so you don't get a drop. So it's different ways of achieving the same thing, essentially. So you, your revenue becomes predictable. But I don't know. I don't like the idea of have ever cutting teams off. The question is, ultimately, what do you value most out of, your, out of your football, isn't it? And is it just about pursuing the money and the highest revenue, or do you want something a bit more tangible? Well, we you... don't get any of that money. They no. want to start sharing it out. But this is one of the things, actually, you know, when it, when it comes to the criticism of the current ownership and, and the way that the club conducts itself and maybe mistakes it's made, is that it's behaving in a kind of, a at times, a shabby way, you know, in a way that you makes you a little bit embarrassed because that's one of the, the the main annoyances about stuff like this is we look like a shambles. We, I'm embarrassed to be a Leeds fan. We look stupid. The rest of the football world is laughing at us. All that kind of stuff. And I think when you flip that on its head, what you want is a club that you can be proud of that behaves in a noble fashion, which is not a, it's not a tangible thing. It's only achieved through certain things like maybe not putting out a ridiculous badge, for example. Which is one of the... I mean, Angus, in his account note, says that the powers of the regulator are currently undefined. Um, which is true, but one of the things that they're bringing under kind of enshrining is consultation on club badges and that you will um, need, the competitions will have to be signed off, the structure of the, the competitions will kind of be in, inherent with the government. So things like relegation and promotion will be protected by the government. It's kind of recognising certain aspects of the game need to be respected from a heritage point of view and from a competition point of view to protect that promotion, relegation part of it, which... The American owners, they, I don't, they always seem to, I don't, I don't know if it's a lie, but they always seem to think that promotion relegation is actually a strength. It's something that sets sport in other countries apart from the, the way that they do. And but they think it'll never happen to them, is the impression I get when, the, when they buy teams. Yeah, I, I don't know. Todd Burley certainly seems to be that stupid. Whether everybody else is, um, is as foolish as that. But then the other aspects of the American system is the the draft and the fact that if you finish bottom you get more than the people who finish top so it's kind of it is even though it's a closed shop there is this kind of inbuilt way of trying to redistribute some fairness so that if you had a bad team one year you've got a chance you get the first pick of the best players the next year obviously then people then start deliberately tanking which is um, another Mm. another problem so every system so I think there is that recognition that every system comes with problems and whether there's the appetite to immediately rip up promotion relegation, I don't know is necessarily there. But the figures on just for the 
NFL's television deal is they get about £10 billion a year. And in the Premier League, we get about, well, we, the clubs, get $2 billion. Let's do it as dollars. $10 billion a year in the NFL, $2 billion a year in the Premier League. And the NFL, the thing to remember is there's fewer teams, fewer games. Seasons really short. 17 games you get, isn't it? Yeah. So the the owners, um, American owners, from that point of view, look at the Premier League and see why is that only making that much money when something that has ostensibly less broadcast opportunities and lasts a much shorter time and has fewer teams in it makes so much more. So logically, if you've got more teams playing more often and they're on television more and they're being broadcast more and there's more sponsorship opportunities, then you leave behind the $10 billion a year that the NFL is is making. How many NFL teams are there? 32. Or how many games do they play? 17. Over a season. like So they play 17. 17 regular season. Double it then. So we play 38 this season. So 10 billion a year for the NFL, current deal, television only, and double it. 20 billion a year. Up from uh, 2 billion now. So you can they there is the opportunity to multiply two billion dollars a year by ten. Some of the rumblings in recent weeks about the TV deal have been interesting. Actually, there's some speculation that the Premier League could go for a a Netflix style. Well, that's how it's done in the NFL, isn't it? I think it's all done via a central subscription and as a way of getting more money that way. And you can then sell it on a global scale rather than having the the thing of you sell your you sell your rights to this country to that country to this country and kind of pull pulling all that in the end if you just had all like, in is, one is place. it called an over the top service that the way if you provide your own over the top service possibly yeah so you have one you have a a service because at the moment i think the current broadcast it obviously brings in a huge amount of money but it feels like everyone's fairly unhappy with it because it's really fragmented there was a time when if you wanted if you wanted football you got sky and that was it and it was expensive but that was it and there were, you you weren't missing out on anything whereas now you kind of if you, if you subscribe to everything, you might have you know a bit of Sky, a bit of BT, a bit of Amazon, a bit of illegal streaming, and you can watch everything. And trying to trying to almost pretend that you can't watch every game is a bit weird now. Yeah, like the the facade of going nope, there are no three o'clock games on. Absolutely no way of watching those because the it has been it is it is against the law as you well know. Interesting to see what happens with the next TV deal, which uh, kicks in in twenty twenty five. I think it does. Yeah, the the Premier League's way of doing it has been to package off little bits and it's interesting that um, MLS has gone the other way where they've just given everything to Apple yeah. for I think it's 250 million a year um, Apple are paying up from 90 million a year and it means that if you want to watch I watched Clicky on it um, yeah. MLS 14.99 a month or 99 pounds per season and you can watch every single MLS game on one service and that one service gives the league, two hundred fifty million pound a year, so very tidy, very clean. Whereas Premier League reckons that there's more money to be had, and there probably is. Well, there certainly is because you can see the figures in saying Sky can have this bit, Amazon can bid for that bit, you can come and bid for this, BT Sport can have a couple of games, and so uh, divvying up that way. So, but again, you test these things, and whether expertise or um, lack of from USA comes with different models to present it, it that way is uh, all reckon, there to be done. What I reckon they'll probably do is they'll end up launching their own over-the-top media service, the Premier League, but it will be without all the live games in this country at very least. And then they'll gradually just sort of phase it in. They'll go, oh, look, everyone's doing it now. We're doing it here. We've tried it there. 
they'll, and they'll maybe pilot it in a few countries and see what what uptake's like, and then eventually they'll do it. I mean, I think it it'd be beneficial for people because I think people are sick of having to go to so many different places and subscribe to so many different services. Whether or not the thing is with TV rights in in England, they've been leveraged against sort of broadband deals and wider satellite TV packages and stuff. So the value of Sky having football isn't simply the number of people who watch the football. It's because when you... It doesn't actually matter, does it? It's because, how many watch it It's now. because you you get it for the football, but then you also end up getting your broadband from them and you might subscribe to the film package and the entertainment package and you get you buy other services from them. And that's always been the way it's been structured in this country. It's like when BT came in and paid... I think they paid more than three times what ITV were paying for Champions League and then but then hardly anyone watches it Champions League games on ITV used to get like 10 million people watching them now they get a million people watching them even if it's a big game on BT which is so, why BT are now getting out of it yeah so you get like a weird it, that BT did that because they felt they had to be in that space so some people would actually get their broadband so the value of the of the football was not actually all in, all it was, in it was, that. It's never claimed back, is it, through subscriptions or viewers or anything like that? But yeah. it doesn't matter. It's the same as Netflix, though. What Netflix want you to do is to maintain your subscription. They don't care if you actually watch stuff. All that does is give them data about what to make to try and attract people. Mm. And then the, the model with Apple going with MLS, on the one hand is the price, £99 a year, compared to like 35 quid just a month just to have a Sky mm. package, and that's for every game. But then you then will be, well, why don't you also get this Apple subscription um, for the rest of what we're showing you and, you know, uh, buy an iPad while you're at it and get a, a Mac and all that kind of stuff. So it's, it lures people in that way. So it's similar to the race for broadband customers that inspired people like Sky and uh, um, BT to put attention on the most recent Premier League packages because that was always Sky from the start. It was always so you would get the sport and then sign up to watch whatever else was on Sky in the 90s. <laughs> the Simpsons. Yeah, basically. Those are, those are the big ticket things if you just watch those. Mm. But you, it will encourage you to, to get ready for the other. So it's the next generation of, of those people out there. So it's Apple and Amazon. So Amazon making you do the, um, the games over Christmas and stuff. So you had to get what they call Amazon Prime. Prime so you yeah. could watch those matches. And then while you've got Amazon Prime, it's like, oh, you're getting free postage and everything you buy from Amazon. You say, oh, well, this is, I'll I might as well stick with this. Yeah. yeah, so yeah. it's all the same uh, the same stuff and somewhere in the midst of it, there's um, there's a football team. Um, or not, if, <laughs> I, if they don't run themselves. Well, let's bring it back well to that, actually, because we yeah. we've gone away off piece from Leeds United itself and just say one of the things that jumps out most of all is probably the most pertinent issue is that the club owes £103 million to other clubs for player purchases. That's the important detail in these accounts. It'll be interesting to see in next year's accounts how much we're owed for Rafinha and Phillips because I got the impression with those we wanted the money now. Yeah, I think. Whereas when we bought players, we've done it on the tick a bit. It's like, well, we'll yeah. we'll spread that out. I think it's it was presented as that was the reason why we took slightly lower fees than would have been expected is that we got it all up front, and so that hundred and three million is not far paid off if you put those two in. But then we've obviously paid a lot more money since because I think that will include for the when the dates fell we signed Aronson and Christensen who else did we get in the summer Rocker yeah Adams could could have been alone nobody was entirely <laughs> convinced either way but um, owing uh, later so all that money includes those players set against the players that then got sold and the loan fee for you know it won't reflect the loan fee for Dan James will it 
No, so uh, well, big big earnings there. I was going to say the um, the the thing to take out of perhaps taking transfer fees up front is that it's maybe given them a bit more flexibility in the market. But also, if the club is getting sold this year, what it lets them do is have far healthier accounts. And if you are basing the value of the shares on a like on a turnover basis or whatever, then it's going to look you know far healthier, isn't it? If Radrazan is selling, he says, "Look at all this money we've got that's coming." There is a there's a whole there's a sense about a lot of things at Leeds where they seem to be done with an impending takeover in mind. And it's felt that way almost for maybe two seasons too long. We've been preparing things as if it's all going to be tidy when there's a takeover. So it would be really good if that just happened so that we could stop having a club that's kind of being tidied up for sale and have a club that's actually trying to do something Mm. um, good. Run run with it like a five-year plan in place as opposed to... As a let's have a clean set of accounts for mm-hmm. when somebody else buys it. Which which when you you know you hear the noises about the ground, that's very much the cornerstone of what 49ers Enterprises want to do. That to me strikes you as your next five year plan. I mean when we spoke to Kinnear after promotion, they kind of indicated that the second season would be when they would go on ground development stuff. And I'm sure there's there are things going on in the background. Plans must have been drawn up. Although confused, well, they said, hasn't they? They've got fly-throughs and stuff. Although, confusingly, they also said they were going to consult fans on it. So have you consulted fans or have you made, have you done it already? But anyway, whatever they do... Yeah, and are you going to keep those plans when the 49ers take over? Or yeah. are they just going in the bin at that well, point? I suspect the plans have been drawn up with the 49ers in mind and Pete Lowy mm. seems to be very, very... But if they have been, then they haven't consulted the plan, the fans. Well, I mean, so look, a bit I mean, late look, for that. There's a bit of there's wriggle room within there, isn't there? Like when it comes down to finer details and, and decor and you know things like that. You know, uh, I, is that all we get input into? Well, is like, I mean, I don't know what look. color to paint it. Tell you what, blue, yellow, and white. There, fan consultation. Well, the flip, the flip side of that is, do you want to be the one who's asked to fucking consult on corporate facilities? Do you want that? What, what carpet well, do you want down? Moscow? Well, we have a supporters advisory board who have not had any input into those plans because you can tell from. If you read through the minutes, it's not been discussed. So why would you not even have, just show them the plans at an earlier stage than being, I mean... It's, well, it's all predicated on staying up, isn't it? That's the point, it comes back to that. Well, it's partly just um, presentation and kind of the the, confused, the confusing messages between wanting to be seen as if things have been done about the stadiums. So like, yeah, yeah, plans are ready, plans are ready. But then not wanting to be seen as if you're not talking to the fans about what kind of stadium they may want in the future. So, yeah, yeah, we'll consult, we'll consult. So they're trying to walk both lines at the same time and um, they don't seem very... Well, it brings you back uh, to the whole, I, I the whole issue, issue of takeover and shareholding, doesn't it? Just I, get it done. I suspect the truth of the West Stand is it's probably being planned and it's very heavily corporate and will be an absolute fortune to sit in there, which is kind of hard to... Uh, Hard to say to people, isn't it? So you can sit in there, but it'll fucking cost well, you. Well, we're almost certainly going to get, what, 6,000 seats in there that are like premium general mm. admission, as Kinnear described them. So if it helps to keep costs down elsewhere... But we won't. Which, we'll give which, it all straight to footballers again. I suppose. Because that's well, what you do. But, I mean, in a way, what else is they going to do with them? Like, I'm, yeah, I'm no, happy I'd, if yeah. all the money in a, in a football club goes to pay good footballers. Um, it's just then who's choosing those footballers and whether the footballers are, are, are good... You know, it's they are the ones who give the pleasure. They're the ones who give the joy or the pain, and it doesn't. It does all depend on them. So it's kind of it's the deal of a football club is we give you all this money to come to the games, and you give that money to some footballers to play some good football to make it worth coming to the game. That's all that needs to happen in the world of football, where it is kind of broken and looks mysterious. Is why those footballers have to have as much money as they get, and why because that's what 
inflates everything, so it's where Bielsa's thing also. If we just if just every club in the world agreed to not pay footballers so much money, then it's fine because the fans can keep it and everybody's much happier then we don't then look at 25 million going to Jean Kevin Augustin and think, how the hell has he managed to earn what actually works out as probably like an average wage for a, a middling European footballer. So all that is just carnage. And then on top of that is not being able to keep the costs under control to the extent that you're not giving more money than the fans give you to footballers. And that's where it gets weird is because the the deal that I talked about, we give you some money, you give it to the players and we watch the players play, doesn't include we give you some money, you get some more money that you can't afford and then you give that to all the players and then come around because that's putting the club at risk. But then, you know, Peter Ridsdale will look back at the era and say, well, did you not want to be in the Champions League? That's That was the whole living the dream thing. Is I went and got that money to make the fans happy and now you're all mad at me. Well, like, yeah, because the entire club is ruined. Are you suggesting we find a balance, Moscow? Yeah, it'd be good. The industry should be, the whole point of the, the exercise should be to give money to players to play football and have a good team and the games will be really good and worth watching. So how that all comes together and like why it needs to be um I mean going back to Kinnear and his his program that's where he described football as a private sector business and it has flourished that way. Maybe if we didn't think of it in terms of being a private sector business where Notts County are essentially Woolworths and if they go bust it doesn't matter because there will be Poundland will take their place on the high street. Um, you know, one business replaces another. Maybe we stopped thinking about football the way that Angus Kinnear thinks about football. The whole thing might be a bit more healthier. It's like it's a, it's a, a sport and an ent- entertainment, and the money that is involved in that is is what it needs to be. But yeah, at some point, somebody's just got to look around each other and go, oh, "Should we just pay cuts?" Because <laughs> we've we've had thirty years of absolute ballooning increases for absolutely everything oh, that filthy why do we just do it the other way Moscow that filthy TV money looking forward to more of it next year <laughs> is the things with the TV money as well because it grows and they need to keep it growing because everyone's hungry for more money they always carve out an additional batch of games don't they that's the thing they yeah. go oh well maybe we could maybe we could play some games on a Wednesday morning just and they'll go just well, and, and everyone yeah. go well it sounds terrible so, yeah but, but you'll, you'll all get an extra four million quid and everyone goes yeah, I suppose we'll, we'll suppose we'll do it then. It's like he's you're going to have to kick off at midnight, and everyone goes, uh, it's not yeah, ideal. roads will be quiet. It's not ideal, but a preseason tour in the USA, <laughs> well, or not? Well, because you can the the TV rights for that will be sold separately. It's extra mm. income for the Premier League, and it will be shared with those those clubs. So that's why it is happening. It's not so that we'll get a a good. I mean, this was the other part of Bielsa's argument: is the need for more money means the need for more games to make more money and the more games that they play it's like why the World Cup is going to be like 6,000 games next time it comes around <laughs> because they've realised oh well if we if we have you know 50 games 50 teams 500 games well multiply that by a million and all, the, and all those countries that are involved it, they want they will want the TV rights yeah. and they'll pay more for those and then you don't notice and this is so it all comes back around basically it all just comes back around so that Bielsa is absolutely right where he's saying that this... <laughs> he got three and a half million quid, actually. We didn't mention that in the accounts. He, he deserved it. The, all that money is making football <laughs> worse because you look at Jean-Kevin Augustin, you go, how the hell is he making £25 million? And part of Bielsa's point is the whole standards are being driven down because every player is just being worked and worked and worked and worked. So the games get worse and worse and worse and worse and they are more and more and more injured. And the people and the the lack of investment in having better and better players at youth level just means that the players coming through 
are no better than Jean-Kevin Augustin. And so he is in the position to earn 25 million quid just for being a footballer. And you, it's true in a way. When you look around, you say, well, why can't we find a better uh, sense of forward than Pat Bamford? Are there actually that many in the... Pre- where are there, like the really good strikers where you think, you know, there's that one lad at Coventry, but it's not like every team has got like a really good striker and Bielsa's whole thing is if we stop just shoveling it into the pockets of people who already have more than enough money and spent it on youth development and getting good players from the starting point, in 10 years, suddenly every team has got a really brilliant centre-forward and they can go to, you know, transfers become more like a an expression of choice rather than a bun fight of increasing <laughs> bids. So Do you know what happened to... in Moscow? Product gets better, TV value goes up, more money, more money. I mean, in some ways, I think it's fair to say youth development is probably the best it's ever been at certain places. Like Man City and Chelsea, teams like the amount they've pumped into their academy over the years. Coaching stuff is probably of a ridiculously high standard, but the spread of it is no longer there. And Man City will only ever have one player a year good enough to get into their first team squad. Crazy. Out of of like 100 16-year-olds they look at or something. Eventually, when they get one of them's 19 and one of them's in the squad, and the rest of them are somewhere else. And if you want to have uh, Romeo Lavia off them, you've got to pay them loads of money and mm. then agree to give him back. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we've reached the point where I think we should wrap it up and we're just, we're just, and just, we're uh, just being sad about everything. I wish Bielsa was in charge of things. <laughs> I was just going to say, or at least a sane voice in the room. Hands up for those who want to torch it. Yeah, just start again. <laughs> just start again. Put Bielsa in charge. Not an independent regulator. An independent Bielsa. And then just, just let Bielsa do it. He can do it alongside his Uruguay job if he wants. Yeah, excellent. He's taking that, yeah. Let's hope he does just so we've got something else nice to enjoy. We'll wrap it up there. Thanks for joining us on this one. Hope you found it at least enlightening, entertaining, whether you agree, disagree. Same time next year. <laughs> we'll speak to you soon. The Square Ball Podcast. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.